Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome. Welcome. To the Haunted Estate. Hello and welcome to The Haunted Estate here with your host, Selena Spooky Boo and Selena Spooky Boo. It's just me this week. I know it's usually me and Joel or a guest, but 99% of the time it's Joel. But I'm going to be honest, it's just me. Um, I thought it'd be a good time to have a little bit of a check-in, um, a little bit of an intimate you and I. I thought I could read you guys some of the first chapter of Hollow since I'm finally getting somewhere with that. And um, I think soon I might have a date of when it's going to be coming out, which I know you guys have been along with me on the journey of Hollow. Not only that, if you're listening to this, then we have um, the mystery box going on right now. So Beauty X Boo is my makeup company. For some reason, it is always just nobody knows about my makeup company, even though all I do is post about it. But I have a mystery box right now for 50 bucks. We get $80 worth of stuff. It's cool. It's stuff I held back. Anytime that I do a launch, I keep like a couple thousand things back um, in case there's shipping issues, in case there's, you never know what you're going to run into. Do you know what I mean? So I always keep stuff back. So there's, there's palettes in there that nobody can get. Ones that are gone and never coming back. We're talking about Bite Me. We're going to talk, we're talking about the Heartbreaker palette. There might be a couple of you, the shit, like we're literally clearing out because guys, crazy shit is going on. <laughs> I just did a final approval on the designs for the Halloween kit. I'm known for the Halloween kit that I do every year, and this one's going to blow your mind. But for today's episode, I just wanted it to be you and I. Um, it's not that it has to be you and I, just a lot has happened. Um, no, Joel has not quit. Joel is not anything. Joel is having a very busy time right now. Um, his wedding is next week, and he has something really big this week coming on. But that is not the biggest thing. If you know I'm home, if you do follow me closely, then you know that I have been in Utah with Adam. We flew into Salt Lake City um, last week, actually. I was extremely sick the week before, which was talking two weeks ago. 
I had this cough and I got tested for COVID. I did a home test. I'm like, something's not right. I went to the hospital. I did another test. I did not have COVID. I was, you know, whatever I had wasn't contagious. I was good to go. And it was actually really funny because this doctor, he was like, you know what they say? And I'm like, what do they say? And he was like, we used to fart we used to cough to cover a fart and now we fart to cover a cough, which I just thought was the funniest thing in the entire world. And he didn't even know who I was and he had potty humor coming at me. And I was like, We're, we could be best friends. We could be the bestest friends in the whole world. Um, but yeah, we, we went to Utah. Um, if you guys didn't know, I put out this YouTube video talking about Adam. It got like over 2 million views, which kind of blew my mind. Um, it meant so much. Everyone cared about him. But we knew we had to head to Cognitive, Cognitive FX in um, Orem, Provo, Utah. And we went. It was going so great. It was cool to get scans to see how his brain's working. Um, the one thing that was really good to find out is like he doesn't need surgery. Like he can do all of this through like different therapies and, and medications and stuff like that to help him get back on track with with what's going on with his mind. Um, but there was a bit of a setback during the week. Someone had he can't do anything heavy like at all. And uh he got thrown a medicine ball someone didn't read his chart and it really set him back so we were like ah but everything was like we were still like the progression was like awesome you know what i mean so when we were flying back like that morning he woke up he's like oh i really don't feel well something's like wrong with my head but he was fine you know what i mean like he seemed absolutely fine so to get back over the border we flew into detroit we were going to drive back into canada um adam you know, he couldn't get the vaccine because of his injury. Um, he can't like have any, like he, he was just signed off. You're not allowed to have this. So he had to get a test to come back in. So he's, he's feeling fine. We're at the duty free right at the border, getting the test and we go to pick it up and I'm like, ha, he doesn't have COVID. Right. Cause I do that anytime I get a test and the guy's like, um, actually, and I'm like, hold up, shut the front door. Adam had COVID. Adam has COVID. Um, so he was fine things started to really hit him. Um, so on top of having this brain injury, now he has a crazy fever. He's really not doing well. I'm perfectly fine, but I'm convinced now what I did have, which is all the symptoms that he's presenting. I think I did have COVID and it just would not come up. So I feel a little irresponsible there. Um, but it didn't show up. And that's the thing. I, I ended up getting a hold of the doctor and he's like, no, like it just, it wasn't COVID. So I don't know where he picked it up. You know, he's been in the house for, he's been in the house for like two years. So like he really doesn't have an immune system or anything like that. So I just feel so bad for the dude. Like he keeps getting the shitty end of the stick, no matter what happens. Like he's, he has this horrible brain injury. He's finally like, dudes, I'm going to be honest with you. Like he started this therapy and that Wednesday morning he got up and he was dancing and he was smiling and it was an Adam that I haven't seen for a really long time. Um, so he's really relaxing. And then we're going to jump back into the therapies. He has like weekly appointments. Like it's, it's, it's going to be a really good thing. I think that his life is really about to change. And I'm really thankful for that because I've missed him so much for so long. I just, I just want everyone to be better. I've, I'll be honest. I've been having a bit of, um, I don't even know how to say it. I don't even know if I'd, if I'd call it a depressive episode. I just been having like a weird feeling 
as of lately and it, it kind of all came out today I, I i met a friend actually it's really funny it was a girl i dated in high school her name's sarah um i ran into her today in the dollar store i hadn't seen her in a while and and we got talking and she's always been an easy one to talk to but it was weird we were just talking about how like everyone's dying <laughs> and i know it's like a, a dark thing to start talking about but we had a conversation and I don't know if it's just my small town or if it's just every small town, but the majority of people that her and I went to high school with have died. A lot of the people we were close with. And out of the ones who haven't died, I feel like we're kind of waiting for them to die. And I know that's such a dark thing to say, but the truth is I didn't have a tight knit group in high school. And I went to this school called Huron Park for half of grade nine then I went to a Catholic high school from that half of grade nine to grade 11 and then I went to Cass like another public high school and I never really fit into a group I never really meshed in with people I was always so weird and I, I was kind of raised very uncomfortably my mom like I said and a lot of people know my mom got really sick when I was young and my family we we kind of turned into caregivers and when my mom got sick was was at those like ages of like 11 to 14 and it's those like really formative formative years and there was just such a disconnect in my family like I remember in grade six like getting my period and not even telling my mom until grade eight because I was just I couldn't have that conversation that's our lives were so focused on different things. So I just, you know, had to deal with it on my own. I don't know how I got to that part of this conversation, but what I mean is like, I've had a weird disconnect with people my whole life because I was raised very differently. And and I struggled a lot with making relationships and getting close to people because, you know, my mom got sick and my dad got really angry because he kind of did get the shitty end of the stick and and I've talked about it lightly before where like when he was young his parents were immigrants (coughs) who didn't speak English (coughs) and um he really struggled like he couldn't go into sports and he couldn't go into things because his parents didn't know how to sign him up and they didn't know you know how to get him friends and how to do stuff like this he got a dog when he was a kid that got hit by a car like it's just a sad growing up so then he met my mom and he fell in love with my mom and we were born And then, you know, right when life was about to start getting a little easier and your kids were, were, you know, old enough to take care of themselves, your wife now needs care all the time. And my dad and I had an explosive relationship. Like I am talking, everything went to a 10 all the time. Like I'm talking full blown out fights. And like, I bring up this movie a lot, The Shack, and I spent a lot of time trying to understand my dad and and because now we have we have such a great relationship and I love my dad and he's my best friend now and and sometimes it takes being an adult like I look back at at me as a child and I know as an adult now I would never you know speak to or make a child feel that way but I will always want to break that because my dad was raised in a very strict household where children were seen and not heard and you know I remember him telling me this story. So Christmas morning, my dad and his sister who had a 10 year age gap 
would get their presents and they'd have to take their presents and go to their room and open their presents by themselves. And that just blew my mind. Like, I don't know if that's a Hungarian thing or if that's how things are done in that culture, but I just know from my dad and how he deals with relationships. Like my parents really rarely ever had friends. <laughs> like we didn't have family either. Um, my dad and his sister are like estranged, good circumstances. She's not a great person. And then um, my, uh, my, my mom's brother is you know he has a lot of problems so no one ever had kids we we didn't have anyone so like I didn't really grow up around other kids and it was always just our family and our family was always kind of in this crisis mode because my mom got sick really fast so as people know she has multiple sclerosis um and it came in like a fucking tsunami there was really no time my mom tells me the story that the doctors called her in after she had had her scans um and they had obviously seen the lesions in her brain and they said bring your husband in so this is the 90s right like things were different but um these these doctors brought him in and, and they sat her down and they were like okay we have something important to tell you you have ms and he's probably gonna leave you and it gives me goosebumps even to say that now because i've told this story so many times but I think, you know, the bluntness of that. And she, she told me that she just prayed and she just asked God and was like, just please let my kids be old enough to take care of themselves until I get sick. So the choice was made for her to pull, pull away from work and she became a stay-at-home mom. And, and I'll never forget, my dad went to Japan with work. And I know I've told this story before, but here's a little refresher. My mom... I was in bed and it was still dark. So it was probably like 5 a.m. And I heard this giant crash. And I ran to the stairs and I, I looked down and I could see my mom on the floor in the kitchen. And I was like, okay, this is not right. Like something is it's wrong here. So I yelled to her and I'm like, mom, can I come downstairs? And she was making this gurgling sound. And I was like, this is not right. So I waited a minute because I was too scared and I knew I wasn't allowed downstairs. And I was like, probably, yeah, grade five. I'd say grade five or grade six, not grade six. And she finally came to, she's like, yeah, come downstairs. So I came down and the coffee pot was smashed everywhere. And I sat my mom up against these cupboards and she just looked at me and her eyes just rolled back in her head and she started gurgling. And I'll never forget running to the living room because all your parents teach you, like if there's an emergency, you call 911. So I picked up that phone and I called 911 and I told the lady, I'm like, yeah, something's wrong with my mom. Something's wrong with my mom. And I was too scared to go check. They're like, oh, is she breathing? Is she this? But I just remember being like, I'm 12. Like, I, I'm 11. I'm 12. I don't know what to do. So the lady said they had an ambulance and she hung up the phone. But I remember just like pressing that phone to my ear so hard because like I just didn't want to hear the sound that my mom was making. So next thing, I, I slam the phone down. I call my grandma. She said she's on the way. So then I hear my mom calling to me and she's like, Selena, it's okay. Like, come here. So they ended up taking her away that day. And that was just really the beginning of the end for our family. Um, within four months, she didn't leave her bedroom. And she went from walking and doing the things that she loved to a cane, to a walker, to a full-time wheelchair in the matter of literal months, like four months. 
and of course with that comes so much and you know my brother and I we were going through puberty like we were pre-teens and we we were rocking with those hormones and it was it was a it was a rough way to grow up and then immediately I got into like slipknot and I started wearing black and I started doing horrible things to myself because what do you do you know um a lot fell on me and a lot fell on my dad you know groceries and cooking and laundry but that's what you do when someone gets sick in your family you pull together I don't know even know how I got to this part of this conversation I think it was just because like I said I've been I've been in the sads lately and I don't know I, I hate thinking about the past because it's over and I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't live through the things that I live through and I get a lot of I get a lot of questions about things that I've been through and I have this like really funny story um <laughs> I'm thankful for my friends um <laughs> my my best friend I consider her my best friend um a lot of people know her her name is Chris call me Chris everyone knows her on TikTok but I'll never I'll never remember riding in the car with her we were with Sam and Colby and I I don't know how the conversation happened. I think they had asked like how Chris and I know each other. And Chris was just like, yeah, Selena and I just share like a lot of the same traumas. And it's just like a beautiful thing. And, <laughs> and I just remember being like, I fucking love you so much. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been in my sads, but I'm working through it. You know, I am so thankful for my life. I'm thankful for my job. I'm thankful for social media, it, but it's not all glitter. <clears throat> it's not it's not all it's not all gold I miss out on like it's crazy to think of the numbers that I have you know like 25 million on TikTok and then I have like uh, almost 2 million on Instagram and I started realizing people around me getting invited to these awesome things and um getting packages from brands and I was like I'm doing this kind of funny stuff like my numbers are so much better <laughs> like what's the problem here why don't they want me and it took me back to kind of the beginning when I started social media and I got invited to work with a big brand we'll just I don't know how to say this we'll call let's let's get let's give them I don't want to give their name but we can it's a big apparel brand a letter in in a letter letter and a letter there you're probably close enough they had given me my first campaign I was so excited and I had a few million and they told me okay we're gonna have everything sent to you everything's gonna be great come this time it's, it's gonna be great and uh they ended up not doing the brand with me because I was too fat <laughs> um and the one thing about being a fat person in this industry is I feel like I have to work 10 times as hard as anybody else and you know I reach out to all these brands and I even offer like free content type thing and I don't get invited to things and I don't get sent the PR packages and, and I know it's because I'm like overweight which is hard because I do like me and yes I want to be healthier I've definitely been on a journey I had like the most delicious healthy dinner ever let me tell you how to make it okay real quick pause pause let me tell you my delicious meal i got um riced cauliflower which i think tastes better than rice 
to be honest with you um i got a sausage cut it up fried it up in butter butter is fine guys um i got a nice pasta sauce like a red sauce throw it in a bowl heat it up on the stove i cut up that sausage once it was cooked threw it in the sauce got all that riced cauliflower threw that in the sauce it was fucking delicious it was like a delicious lasagna skinny bitch lasagna that's what i call it um my doctor did tell me i'm super fucking ill um all of my numbers are off the chart and i'm definitely gonna be dead by 40 my body does not work like other people's bodies um all my grandparents were dead in their 50s in their early 50s so like i was like extra good care of myself but um yeah i've been in the sets it's been hard to watch adam struggle for so long um it's hard to miss out on opportunities because i don't fit the status quo um it, sometimes I just feel like I'm falling behind and I'm watching people do these big crazy awesome things and I I just feel like I'm everyone's last thought which is which is hard but I also hate saying that because people are like look how great you have it and I do I have a fucking great but there's a lot of things people don't understand at the same time but I'm okay I'm just going to do my good, like, middle of the night, drive around, depressing song, loud cry, and then I'll pull it together and I'll be fine again. <laughs> but yeah, going back to my dollar store talk <coughs> with the girl from high school, we were talking about how everyone had died. And I know I kind of got on a tangent there, but um, I had, like, some light friend groups. You know, I never had, like, a group of friend or a best friend. I did for, like, a hot minute, but they were never good people. But, um... Yeah, like everyone in my wedding party I haven't talked to since I got married. <laughs> but uh, we were talking about how everyone had kind of died since high school. And it is kind of crazy. Once you get into your 20s there, like a lot of people die off, it seems like. But um, I live in this small town where drugs are such a problem. And um, I've watched all these girls I went to school with you know have their families and then you know addiction takes over and one by one they just all kind of um disappeared and it's weird because you pick up your phone and you you want to text them and and they're not gonna reply i think we're kind of put it in perspective my whole life i lived in this town right it's called woodstock and we have like 38,000 people. There has been this man called Johnny. And he kind of goes by Johnny Blue Balls. I know that's kind of crazy. I don't know why people call him that. Um, he's kind of like a... He's He was always like a homeless man who had been very heavy into drugs and kind of... The story was kind of like melted his brain from sniffing glue. I don't know if this is true. This is just what I was always told. But he was the nicest guy and he even had an opportunity and got an apartment here. But... The, the street life was just for him and he was this weird constant in my life and I know that's strange to say but ever since I was a little girl Johnny has been around and everyone knew Johnny and anytime I saw Johnny I gave him 20 bucks it didn't matter when if I had the money and I saw Johnny I pulled over and I called him over and I would be like Johnny what's up how you doing Johnny here's 20 bucks you like, oh, oh yeah never remembered my name Every time I'd be like, I'd be like, do you remember me? And you're like, Arr. and he'd move on. But Johnny was a constant. You could go out at four o'clock in the morning, 
to go get some gas and Johnny was walking around. He'd shuffle all around. So we were in Utah and I start reading on my Facebook because I still use Facebook that Johnny had been found unresponsive. They had worked on him. They got him a heartbeat back and he was in the ICU. <coughs> this town is a rumor mill. Somebody had put out there that he was fine, that he was awake, that he was doing great and he was doing super well. He wasn't. He was in a coma. And unfortunately, like two days ago, three days ago, Johnny passed away. And I knew eventually this was going to happen. He was an old man. But now Johnny's gone. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. And I didn't think it would bother me so much. But it did. And he's just kind of, you know, he was also, I don't know his, the circumstance, but everyone in this town does things that they shouldn't do. Fentanyl is a, a huge problem around here. But it's just like all these people I went to high school with, like all these constant, all these people gone. And it's just weird to think about like every year getting older and you're like, this is kind of bananas. Like I was a teenager longer ago than it feels and now I'm a grown-up and I feel weird and behind and ahead, but behind at the same time. It's such as, I can't even explain how it is. But again, it's, it's hard not to get caught up in things. Today I was at the grocery store getting healthy snacks. I want to live. Um... And this girl came up to me. It was weird. I think because yesterday was the long weekend. Everybody and their uncle was out in the world. And um, 
I talked to so many people today and it was kind of weird because I, I just haven't gotten that deep in conversation. Like people wanted to talk today. I got this message actually. Um, I'm going to see if I have it here. Oh no, I don't think I can get on my Facebook. This lady wrote me and um, I know I'm talking about people I saw, but this lady wrote me and told me that she had woken up this one day and she had decided that was her day. She was done with life. Done. She logged on her computer to like make a post and she was done. And my videos came up and she spent her whole day watching my videos and how much it meant to her and how I kind of made life look different for her. And that's why I do this. And that meant so fucking much to me. And then today, when I said, when I was at the grocery store, this girl came up to me. She was a teenager. And she told me that she just wanted to have like a genuine conversation with me. That she'd met me before quickly at a fair, but she wanted to have a genuine conversation. And I worry so much about these teenagers. She she told me how she had dealt with self-harm a lot. And she just had more scars that I've ever seen on a person. And it's COVID, right? Like, you can't just hug people. And I didn't want to be like, can I hug you? But she just told me, you know, what, what kind of my videos she liked the most. And it's the ones where I'm being more real. And I have a hard time because when I post those videos, trying to be inspirational and talking about the hard things, they don't get the views. And I have this constant struggle with leaving videos up that don't have good views because I'm like, well, people don't want to see this, but there are those few that it, it really does mean a lot to. But it is crazy and the kind of people that I meet. And that's something that Adam and, and my brother always point out is like, it's such a, it's such a huge demographic. Like I meet little kids and grandmas and <clears throat> I feel like I have this cool multi-generational connection to people like people are like I love you but my mom loves you and that's what I want to do like I don't want to be this this passing moment because people are always like oh do you like it when people come up and say hi to you I'm like fuck yeah I want to hug everybody because I know it's not forever and people use this word like famous and I find that such an uncomfortable word because it's the internet but I know the internet is what we look at and, and stuff like that but I know it's fleeting and I know it's not forever and I'm going to enjoy the fuck out of it until it's over. And I hope I don't disappear because we all have those people and they've, they, they all have, you know, their five, eight years and then, and then they just kind of slowly slide into the background and the new wave of people come through. And some days I'm convinced it's, it's already happened, but then I have these other days when I go out in the world and I meet so many people and I'm like, okay, I'm still like a little bit relevant. <sighs> I already know the comments I'm going to get on this. They're going to be like, you are so entitled. Yeah, so. Yeah, so. <laughs> I just want to keep it real with you guys. And that's what means the most to me in the whole world is just being being true because people ask me how to do it and am I a character and am I this and that and like I said I had a lot of conversations today and that girl from high school she's like yeah when people say this I tell them like you are who you are and I'm like 
I've tried to be different people. I try it on all the fucking time. Even in, you know, my age now, like, I still don't know who I am. I, I've been convinced no one does know who they are. <coughs> We're constantly just trying on different hats, different styles, different personalities, and we all kind of rub off on each other. I don't think there's one version of us. If you know exactly who you are, that's kind of weird. <laughs> but anyways, had a cool meeting about books today. We'll soon have some news about Hollow. I know that I've read you guys the prologue, but I wanted to read you guys a little bit of chapter one. I don't know if I have. It's been rewritten so many freaking times at this point that <laughs> it's probably going to sound new to you anyways, because there's been lots of changes and I want to go through it again, to be honest with you. Keep adding, keep, you know, I'm just proud of this book. I like it. I don't know if I'm super hard on the ending. Um, I always love the build up. I'm, I'm never quite the best at the ending, but I do really love it. So let's jump into chapter one of Hollow. By the way, the prologue is literally 10,000 words and it's kind of like a prequel to be honest, <laughs> but here we go. Chapter one. The dust-seed embroidered edges of the curtains that frayed me. See, I'm going to sneeze already. Let me take a sippy sip. Sippy sip before we start. Ah! I was going to gargle, but I didn't. <laughs> <coughs> I got to work these lungs out for you guys. Chapter one. Chapter one. The... The dusty embroidered edges of the curtains that framed Mia's double-paned windows woke her as they moved in smooth ripples across her face. Nearly every morning of her life began this way. No matter the temperature, Mia was in love with the night, the breeze it brought, and the mystery the silence carried. Every night, her mother would storm into her bedroom and slam down the window. Regardless of how many times her mother asked her to leave the window be, she couldn't. The moon just called to her. In her mind, if the window was open, the sky and her were connected in a way that was only feasible if the glass wasn't there to separate them. She thought herself a moon child. When Mia was younger, she thought her mother was more concerned with energy bills than anything else. She had no idea that there was a such thing as bad people who liked to sometimes crawl through windows and steal little girls. This made zero sense to her as people who did make their way into her room didn't need windows or even a door. They never meant her any harm. Her mother knew this. When she was barely old enough to go to school, people like things would show up as faint dustings in the air. Maybe they were just a shadow or a faint outline, but she used her childlike mind to try and rationalize what she saw. Even at that young age, she could make connections with the things that she'd seen on TV and learned in books. Her mother also knew that only Mia could see these people. Mia's mother was Elizabeth Adair, a world-renowned psychiatrist, and her passion was parapsychology. And until she was in her early teens, Mia was her mother's most famous case. She was known as Case 37 in the book that her mother had written, the work of literature was used almost as a handbook to the paranormal enthusiasts across the globe. 
It was strange for her during the few times she had been coaxed into sitting through one of her mother's presentations in front of hundreds, or maybe thousands. The second she saw her number, 37, called out as she watched the faces of strangers light up. She'd been born with the ability to see and hear things that other people didn't. From the day she started speaking, it was about the people in her bedroom. <coughs> Seeing the strangers was as normal to Mia as breathing. Sometimes they visited a few times a week, sometimes every night. Some of the spirits spoke to her, but most did not. Their strange movements sometimes scared her. It was strange to see a person who appeared lost and found in the same moment. They'd pace her room, having conversations with themselves, as if lost in the moment. Recreating their final days, saying the things they'd wish they'd had a chance to say in life. It seemed like just being seen and being acknowledged was enough for them. Mia didn't know what happened to the people after they disappeared, but she liked to think they crossed over into the afterlife. Every so often, someone would ask her to give their loved ones a message, but usually the spirit disappeared before she could find out their name or where they had lived. It was as if simply being there to hear their final words of love or confessions of wrongdoing was enough to release them from their earthly ties. Elizabeth hated being home ever since her husband Ben was killed in a car accident when Mia was seven and little Sasha was only three. She wasn't completely absent from their lives. She just wasn't there as much as a parent should have been. Like the day Mia got her first period, or the day Sasha fell off the swings in the backyard and broke her arm. Mia was the one waking up most mornings, cooking microwaved oatmeal for the girls before they caught the bus to school. Mia thought it was the grief that convinced her mother that she was mature enough to be the lady of the house for weeks at a time. Little did Elizabeth know that her daughter was just as lost in grief, but the little girl didn't get to escape. The whole situation had triggered a deep loneliness in her. She never had the opportunity to feel like a child, just a mini-adult that no one took seriously. Elizabeth and Ben had loved each other fiercely, and in the first year after Ben's death, Elizabeth was lost. She had a daughter who could speak to people on the other side, yet the father of her children never came through. Mia and Elizabeth spent countless nights sitting on the living room floor, the room full of candles, but there was no sign of Ben. Mia felt like she was letting her mother down. Elizabeth always reassured her that she wasn't, but the frustration was evident in her eyes. Mia and her father had been exceptionally close. If he wouldn't come through to her, it meant he had already passed over. That meant no final words of love for his wife, and it left Elizabeth feeling empty. The way Mia saw it, her father had been more free to move to the next phase of life of existence, which was a beautiful thing. She wished that her mother could see it the same way. Mia had seen so many spirits lost in the what's-ifs, and the last thing she wanted for her father was to glide around her, uh, glide around her room, confused and asking questions she couldn't answer. Elizabeth didn't care. She needed confirmation that he was okay. She went as far as waking up Mia in the dead of the night during an electrical storm in hopes that the energy in the air would pull him through. In the years after Mia's father died, Elizabeth often dropped the girls off at Slowburn, the local hybrid coffee bookshop, on weekend mornings so she could meet with various clients over brunch. She'd kiss them on their cheeks and slip them a $5 bill into each girl's hand before taking off in whatever fashionable silver sedan she had leased that year. 
The store was one of several located in an old garment factory. The wooden slats in the floor, the brick walls, and the front and the back of the building were original. Scuffs on the hardwood showed where women had repeatedly pushed back their chairs over the course of centuries. Holes in the beams overhead, overhead marked where racks had once hung with newly finished blouses and coats. Every corner of the place smelled musty, and every floorboard was slightly offset from its neighbors. The shop rarely carried new releases, specializing in weird old books along with locally authored nonfiction. It was the kind of place where you wanted to enjoy a book with your coffee, not feel pressured to buy. Mia loved to pick out a bizarre title and curl up in one of her favorite overstuffed, mismatched chairs. Her favorite spot was just beneath one of the windows where a steam seamstress from an unknown time had scratched TM plus LK into the wood. The initials were faded, but they were like a secret message from the past, a physical reminder of people who had once walked these floors. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That at one point in time were the... That at one point in time, they were the main characters. She loved seeing tributes that showed, even after people were gone, that their love can carry on. Sometimes Mia hated how sentimental she was, never wanting to appear too soft. Mr. Horvath, the owner, had welcomed them wordlessly as if it was the most natural thing in the world to have two unaccompanied child spend their time with him on a Saturday morning. He would waddle his way up the road and unlock the doors for both him and the girls, making them a pot of strawberry green tea or perhaps a nice earthy robus before flipping the sign to open most kids would prefer to spend their time on weekends with friends watching cartoons or scootering around the local strip mall but not mia she was happiness sitting in the chair reading books she and mr horvath didn't speak most of the time just existed in the same space until elizabeth breezed in the door to collect her daughters as Mia visited the worlds of the pages of Mr. Horvath's book collection, she found pieces of herself. By junior high, Sasha had outgrown the shop and spent her weekends hanging out with her friends, but by the time Mia could drive, she was working at Slowburn on Friday evenings and weekend mornings. Mr. Horvath had quickly become something of a surrogate father. His smiles reached his ears every time Mia opened the doors. His boys had moved away and were preoccupied with their own families and jobs on the East Coast. Mr. Horvath was the one who showed Mia how to change the oil in her car and how to save money. School was tedious, but the weekends were less so. Slowburn seemed like the only time she stayed out of minor boredom-fueled trouble. 
She wasn't a delinquent, but when she was bored, she tried desperately to erase the feeling. So sometimes instead of attending math, she'd end up smoking cigarettes in the basement of her high school under the science wing. When she was supposed to be in history, she was instead making it with Josh under the bleachers of the football field, a boy who pretended that he didn't even know her in the hallways. Mia's mother worried, but she graduated on time without an arrest or a suspension on her record. Mia looked at her phone. She found she had exactly 42 minutes before she had to be in her car and heading down the lane towards work. She had planned to work on Slowburn through college, but the shop had closed down six years ago. Mia didn't want to think about that now. These days, she worked for a local bookstore chain, which the only bookshop in town now. She didn't know at age 18 that she'd still be working there at nearly 25. It was the kind of job that was supposed to only fill a gap year between high school and college. That magical year where responsibilities are few and every day is full of a part-time job, friends, and drinking. But time got away from her. After high school, college seemed like a waste of time and money. She had so many dreams and ideas of careers, but no idea of who she really was or what she wanted to do with the rest of her life. After all, she peaked anonymously before puberty in her mother's books and was a household name, Case 37, in the paranormal community. It was also weird to Mia to be wanted by one community, but rather ostracized by her peers for the same thing. Memories easily flooded back into her mind, and moments in the high school halls when spirits as solid as you or I would appear in front of her. Her schoolmates thought that it was crazy. One day, it looked like she was talking to thin air, when actually she was trying to tell Madison Aurelia's grandmother that she was fine. Teenagers don't take easily to things that they don't understand. Her mother's book itself had become the paranormal community's version of porn. After its publication, Mia started receiving messages from strangers who spent their late nights diving deep into the web and using their love for conspiracy theories to connect the dots. Sometimes she could tell by the way that their mother wrote about her that she had to be their daughter. A few even found her various social media accounts, hoping she'd help them contact their loved ones. Unfortunately for them, she didn't have anything to offer. Her gift disappeared in the rearview mirror, along with her childhood, as if becoming a woman was the only thing which her soul wanted to focus on. As the curves appeared, the voices and visits almost completely stopped. It left her feeling a bit useless, a one-hit wonder. It wasn't a bad deal, though. A portion of the royalties from Elizabeth's book went straight into Mia's checking account. Her mother traveled the world to speak at paranormal conferences. One of her most vivid memories, however, was the accident. It was a warm August morning when Mia was ten years old, her mother explaining to both her and Sasha what bad people were. Not realizing the fear she was instilling in her, instilling in her oldest daughter, that afternoon, when her mother left to take Sasha to dance lessons, Mia swiftly pulled on her red rubber boots and rummaged around in the dilapidated shed that should have fallen summers ago, in search of the antique fox trap that her father had hidden in the back corner. Mission accomplished. Mia carried, Mia carried the metal jaws out into the high sun of the afternoon and stood beneath her gabled bedroom window. There was no way to get in without using a ladder. Nevertheless, she bent back the sides of the meadow with her tiny fingers, clicking the fastener into the rusty hole. She placed the trap in the garden under the windows and took some leaves to cover any tiny bits of metal that weren't rusted and that could potentially reflect moonlight. 
She took a few steps back to observe what in her mind was a foolproof plan that would keep her and her little sister safe. That night, as the warm summer breeze rolled over her uncovered skin, she slept deeply and without dreams. The very next morning, she was awoken not by the curtains drifting over her face, but by the loudest howl she had ever heard. She flew out of bed and stuck her head through the window. Below was Mr. Charles, Charles the gardener, writhing on the ground in agony. The 72-year-old neighbor lived a few lived on a few acres next door and had been helping take care of the Adair property since Ben had died. No, Mia cried out as she saw the trap gnawing at the old man's left ankle like a shark. How did I forget Mr. Charles, she thought, as she took the stairs three at a time. She had dialed 911 from the hall phone before her mother stumbled into the room in confusion. That was the dream Mia woke up with today. The memories of that horrific day. The accident, as she always referred to it in her mind, living in her head and playing like a movie on repeat. Ugh. Mia kicked the sheets off as a warm breeze already promised a scorcher of a day. She took one step out of her bed to close the window, which made her groan as she struggled to push it into place. She flipped the latch and stared down at the spot she had seen Mr. Charles lying long ago that morning. She almost expected him to still be laying there, his arms reaching up into the sky as if God himself was about to reach down and help him. Her dream usually ended with Mr. Charles' face blanched in pain, but now her mind forced her to recall that week that followed the accident. When Mr. Charles' ankles shattered, he fell and landed on one of the field stones that rested untouched in the yard, breaking his hip instantly. That morning was the last that Mr. Charles could see anything but the yellow of his hospital walls. Mia could see Mrs. Charles from her bedroom window as she walked out of the door the first six mornings after the accident. The old woman maneuvered her arthritic joints into her silver Toyota before backing out of the drive and turning towards the hospital. As Mia tried to force herself to sleep every night, the Toyota's lights would flash onto the wall when, and she would get up to watch Mrs. Charles hobble into the house alone. A moment later, she saw a single light switch in the kitchen go on as the woman measured out half a can of cat food for Roger, the fat orange cat. Mia had not confessed that she was the one that had set the trap. She had been sure that her mother would have known immediately, but there hadn't been at least a suggestion that Mia had placed the contraption. The rusty metal made the trap look as if it had been in the elements for at least a decade. At first, she'd been too scared about being punished for saying anything. But once the adults had decided that it was an accident, she knew she had to correct them. But how? For an entire week, she lived with the sickness of guilt eating her alive. She knew the longer this went on, the more trouble she'd be in, and that everyone would look at her differently. The Toyota didn't leave the driveway on the seventh day, but was joined by two other sedans. Mia already knew why. She had awakened that morning just before the sun was a glimmer on the horizon by a warm hand gently patting her shoulder. Her eyes opened slightly. She turned her head, expecting to see her mother. It had been her first solid sleep since the accident, but it wasn't her mother she saw. It was Mr. Charles. Gasping, Mia sat up and looked at his legs. There was no gauze, no crutches. Mr. Charles, what are you doing here? Mia whispered. Hello, kiddo he replied. I didn't mean to frighten you. I just wanted to see you. He reached out a hand to hold hers, his eyes looking bright. Are you okay now? Mia's voice broke and tears started to pool at the corners of her eyes. I would say I'm better than okay, the old man said, letting out a small laugh. 
I'm sorry, Mia said, relief washing over her. I didn't mean to hurt anyone. I just wanted to keep the bad people from getting in. Mr. Charles smiled down at her. I don't want you to worry about what happened, kiddo. It was an accident. Let's keep this between us, okay? Mia squeezed her eyes shut as the tears spilled down her cheeks. Okay. She sniffed hard and then looked back up at his face. He looked a bit wavery. She blinked her eyes to focus, but it wasn't tears. Mr. Charles was slowly fading, and his kind smile never leaving his face until he was finally gone. Mia was left holding hands with nothing but the stale air. Mr. Charles was not the first spirit to visit her in her bedroom, and he definitely wasn't the last. Now, though, she stood stretching, looking over the two acres of the forest, and she wondered how something that happened 12 years ago could still live so vividly in her brain. Every night she would set an intention of what she wanted to dream about, just like all the books her mother had gifted her for birthdays and Christmas said she should. Mia rolled her eyes and headed for the shower, but not before stopping at the full-length mirror that stood angled beside the dark green five-tiered bookshelf that held her favorite books and most precious memories. Mia took in her frame. Her shape was not squinny, but not fat. Her gaze shifted to her face. The petite nose and the almond eyes were her mother's, but from the pictures that sat at her bedside, she could tell she was practically a carbon copy of her father, with her soft chin and dark hair and eyes and high cheekbones. Mia knew she was average, but she didn't mind. She felt lucky that she liked how she looked. Most girls she went to school with did, didn't. Her skin wasn't perfect, hormones were always to blame, and the curves of her body were soft and smooth. She had tiny stretch marks in the usual places, but everything looked like it fit perfectly, as if it had been mapped out, like every bulge or mark was pre-planned by someone. <coughs> As a little girl, she would trace the small pink lines that scattered her mother's stomach, and thought them beautiful, like shiny ribbons. It blew her mind that society frowned upon them and manipulated women into spending their money and time to erase all the bits and pieces that were deemed unsightly but made them unique. She found peace that she could love herself, even though she wasn't close to the size that society wanted her to be. Mia tended to pull away from the other women that girls idolized. She got lost in the supporting characters that were full of flaws and that were made to only be a thought. She had no issue with people who wanted to change things about themselves. She too would love long legs or maybe a smaller nose. But all day at work, she rang up magazines with the same airbrush models that looked like they were designed by a graphic artist. Girls as young as 12 were buying all these clickbait gossip rags. Weekly, Mia saw them change from little girls to carbon copies of women on the magazine covers. Oh my gosh. I'm going to cut you off there. Ah, so that's just the beginning of chapter one um, from my book, Hollow. Um, so yeah, there's a prologue chapter one. I like it. I'm proud of this book. I think it's the best thing I've written. But yeah, guys, that's really going to pull us together for this episode of The Haunted Estate. Joel will be back next week. I was going to have Adam on, but he is too sick. But I want to say thank you so much for always being a part of this. Please remember to never make a permanent choice on a temporary situation feelings are feeling sometimes you're down sometimes you're up but you're gonna be okay i love you guys and until next time stay spooky boo crew i love you
you can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.